Hey, podcast listeners, it's Mike. Uh, this time I am trying out Facebook Live instead of YouTube Live, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, hopefully some of you see no, some, one of the notifications and decide to join me, but I uh, wanted to give you a quick update on progress since the last episode. I know that I gave you guys a challenge, and I also gave myself a challenge to get out there and actually do something, not just continue to plan and to learn, but actually take some steps to do something. So I'll give you an update on what I've been doing. And then I also wanted to talk to you about something I read about recently that really uh, was meaningful to me, and uh, that is specifically steps to help you plan like a pro, which the um, technical term for that would be reference class forecasting. So um, if you like nerdy terms, you can look that one up and Google it. But that's what I wanted to talk about today. So the update on what I've done. So I put out the challenge there to say, hey, do something. Don't just talk about it. Don't just learn stuff, but actually get out there and do it. What I've been doing is I did reach out to my sister-in-law, Grace, who does SEO, she does branding, marketing, some of that type of stuff, and I set up some time with her to uh, talk about branding for this podcast. So to figure out how can I be a little tighter with the branding, what do I want my message to be, how do I want to be seen uh, with this podcast, all of that. So uh, I'm going to do that. It's coming up uh, next weekend is uh, when I'm planning to do it. I'm going to go out and and just hang out at one of the local breweries and and we'll talk through it. So she offered as part of my birthday present to do that for an hour for free. So why not? I'm going to take her up on it. Um, The other step that I took was I I did reach out to an artist and graphic designer who I know um, and talked to her about what it would take to put together uh, a full visual branding. It's kind of the art branding to um, all of the different social media places that I use. So Facebook and Instagram or uh, Squarespace where I host my website, all that, just to kind of create a consistent visual brand and make sure that my logo is up to date, all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to put some more intentional effort into it. So I'll be talking to her hopefully in July, giving her some more information uh, and we'll walk through that and and talk through what the visual brand will look like. So it'll be a little facelift for the upload podcast, Uh, maybe look a little different. Hopefully that doesn't throw you off uh, when it changes on your podcast feed. But As far as what I'm learning and and talking about the forecasting piece, um, I traveled again recently, and this is when I do all my best reading. So uh, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, I had to travel to Texas again for work. And so I had a couple of flights where I could read, and I've continued to read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I know I've mentioned it before in the podcast, so if you've uh, been listening, you've heard me talk about it. But he's a uh, psychologist who looks at some of the behavioral economics type stuff. So he was one of the guys who was really influential in that uh, research area. But specifically what he's looking at is decision-making and bias and fallacies that we fall into, stuff that I just really nerd out on. Um, So the problem is that the book is really heady. It's really research-heavy. So it takes me a while to read through it. But I got through a few more chapters on the plane, and, and that's where I got a few of these ideas from because... It really challenges me personally when I read some of this stuff and I realize how irrational I can be, how irrational I am. And uh, it's probably the same with you if you if you think about it, and maybe this will kind of hit home. But uh, this one for me is about planning and how bad I am at planning. So if you're like me, maybe you've done uh, a budget before and realized how bad you are at budgeting because it never comes out right, at least at the start, until you get the hang of it. But uh, you always underestimate. You're always overly optimistic about how much you can save. The same is true when you try to do like home improvements. Say you want to add a patio to the back of your house or you're going to paint or whatever. 
Um, if you're like me, you always are overly optimistic and have a terrible estimate of what it's going to cost time-wise and money-wise. Uh, so that's frustrating to me because I would like to plan better. And um, if you're like me at work, I have to plan all the time and I have to forecast. And people are always asking me, how long is it going to take? What do you need to do this? That type of thing. And it's really frustrating when you don't have the answer to that or when your answer is just a total guess and you're worried about being found out for that. So um, what he talked about in the book, I'll start with an example. It's a story that he shared from when he was first getting started in his research, and he was just kind of becoming an expert in the area of uh, judgment, decision-making, and he had been asked to be part of a team that was going to write a curriculum and a textbook to teach decision-making and judgment in high schools. So this is Daniel Kahneman that I'm talking about, the, the author of Thinking Fast and Slow. So they got started on it without really a forecast or a plan, which is ironic, right? But that's what all of us do. We just kind of dive in and, and get started with it. Well, at some point, about a year in, they decided to pause and say, well, let's figure out how long this is going to take. And they actually did something pretty cool. It was something they were planning to teach in the book is that if you're going to make a forecast as a group, you should do it individually instead of talking about it. Um, as a team. So before you talk about it, you should all write down what your estimate is, what do you think the value is, and then uh, read through that together and see where the differences are. Surprisingly, they were very close to each other. So it ranged from one to three years with most people somewhere around two. So their average ended up being about two years. So they forecast that it would take them about two years to finish the project of writing the textbook and finishing the curriculum. However, uh, when they started digging a little deeper, they uh, started asking some questions. Well, hey, um, what is the success rate for people like us who have started a project like this? And uh, when they did the research, they were really shocked to find that actually 40% of teams that had done a similar task as them failed and never finished the curriculum, never finished the textbook. And then when they said, okay, of those teams that actually did succeed, though the 60% that succeeded... How long did it take them? Was it two years or uh, are we even close? And what they found was it was a range of seven to 10 years, seven to 10 years. No team had done it any faster than seven years that they could find in their research. So they decided to go ahead and press on anyways, as we all do, right? We, we hear statistics about worst case scenario or maybe even realistic scenario, and we choose to believe that we're better than that. And that doesn't really apply to me because this is a unique scenario. How could all these statistics have any bearing on my unique scenario? And so they, they moved on. And ironically enough, they ended up taking eight years to complete the project. So right kind of in the center of that projection it took them about eight years. They had all sorts of unexpected things that happened that they never could have forecast at the beginning. And it ended up falling into the statistical range of the people that they did the research on. So that was his story. And he always shares it uh, because it's a personal story. I think it's interesting because uh, he was supposed to be an expert in this area and he fell into the same traps. But there's a bunch of... Uh, really important insights in that story. So that's why I shared it, not just to copy his story there. But uh, the first one is that what they did at the beginning is what's called an inside view. So this is helpful when you're thinking through it and trying to remember to take the right steps. But it's called an inside view when you ask yourself, how long do I think this is going to take? Or as a team, you say, how long do we think this is going to take? So that could be for anything, for planning a project. It could be for deciding how much something's going to cost, for deciding how much time you're going to have to put in every week to work towards a goal that you're working on, whatever it is. When you just ask yourself and you just try to intuit the answer, that's the inside view. 
the outside view is the opposite. That's what they did second when they said, hey, let's look at some statistics of people who are doing similar things or who have done similar things. And that's where they came up with the 40% fail. And of the 60% that succeed, it takes them seven to 10 years. That's the outside view. So inside is just me and my team. Outside is just kind of raw statistics without really any personality, without any emotion to it. Just what are the facts? Uh, one of the other key things to pull out of this um, is the what they call the planning fallacy. And uh, that, that term slipped right out of my head there. The planning fallacy is our tendency when we're doing the inside view to be way overly optimistic and to always assume a best case scenario. So I hadn't really thought about that until I read the book, but um, it really did stand out to me. I never plan for problems to happen. I don't sit out when I'm uh, making a project plan or someone asks me how many resources I need for something. I don't sit there and think through, well, on average, uh, we have delays 25% of the time. So that means I need to increase my number by never, never do that. I always just think, oh, we're going to get this project done in X amount of time because that's how fast we could work how fast we could work. And I never really realized before how stupid that is until I'm reading the book and I and it just kind of hit me like, yeah, that's a best case scenario. And when has a best case scenario ever happened? Whether that's at your job or your freelancing thing, your side hustle, whatever. For me, almost never. I don't even know if I can think of a time when the best case scenario has actually happened. So to deal with this and to do some reference class forecasting, which uh, is a term that Brent, I'm going to butcher his name, but I believe it is Fleivberg. He's a Danish uh, planning expert, and he's actually a professor at Oxford now. But in the book, uh, Daniel Kahneman details out the three-step process he has for uh, reference class forecasting. It's really simple. It's something you could apply today. Uh, It's something I'm going to try to apply more in my work all the time. Uh, The first step, though, is to identify an appropriate reference class. So that sounds simple enough, but sometimes it could be tough. Maybe you don't know anybody who's trying to do or who has done the thing you're trying to do. We live in a wonderful age where there is Google and the internet. I promise you can find somebody who has done at least something similar to what you're doing. So if you put in the time and put in the effort, I I guarantee there is somebody you could compare to. So what has happened either that I've done or that others have done, I need to identify a reference class where I can pull some statistics from. And that's the second step. Uh, the second step is to actually go in and check out those statistics. So where can I find a measurement? Can I find a how many hours it took them? Can I find a per hour or a per dollar? You know, Whatever the statistic is that would be meaningful in your form of work, pull out the statistics that you can find from that reference class. So only from people or projects or events that have been similar to yours, not necessarily from just a broad swath of everything. You want things that are actually similar to what you're trying to to estimate. And then the third step is to use specific information about your case to make uh, realistic adjustments. So this is where we finally get to do the part that we want to do from the very beginning, which is to say that we're unique, right? Um, the issue is, and this is what keeps coming up in the book over and over again, is that we're not as unique and we're not as special as we like to think. And time and time again, when you look at statistics, the reason there are averages is because people tend to fall within a certain range when they do things, when they perform, whatever it might be. 
we tend to fall within a certain range. And chances are, statistics would say, you're not the anomaly. You're not the person at the very far edge. You could be. It might happen. But that's a horrible way to plan. That's like walking into a casino and assuming that you're going to win at everything you play or assuming that you're always going to hit at blackjack. It's just a a terrible way to approach doing your work because you're probably not that far from the average. Now, maybe you are a little better. Maybe you look at the reference class and you say, well, I've got way more experience than these people and uh, I have this other factor that makes me faster. Great. Adjust, but always adjust from that baseline that you created with the reference class. So to say, on average, it's here. It's in the center. Now I'm going to adjust a little bit away from that. But you can't just totally abandon that center number and and fly out. So that is the three-step method to identify an appropriate reference class, pull the statistics out of it, and then make a small adjustment. So that's basically all I had today. It's a a short one today, just something that I've been mulling over. It's really important to me right now because I'm doing a lot of forecasting. I'm doing a lot of predictions of what I'll need and what resources uh, I have to plan for and timing and all that kind of stuff. So instead of defaulting to what's easy, which is just to make something up, I'm really trying to challenge myself to use some methods like this to have an intelligent estimate that'll actually be meaningful. So Uh, A couple other things I would encourage you with that are coming out of this that I'm trying to remember here is one of the things he talks about in the story is the reason we fall for the fallacies is because our brain is constantly trying to find the better story. So we love a coherent story. We love a story that makes sense, a story that is easy to believe. We don't like dull, boring statistics. We don't like numbers on a page. We don't like numbers that tell us something we don't want to hear that it's going to take longer, that it's going to be more expensive, whatever it might be. We hate that stuff. So we choose the story that makes us feel better. The important thing is to recognize that that's what our brain naturally does so that we can recognize it when it's happening and resist it and adjust from there. So uh, recognize that your brain is looking for the better story. The other one is to resist the planning fallacy. So similar again, recognize when you're uh, falling into the trap of assuming the best case scenario. So whatever that could be about, your budgeting, uh, could be about your prediction of how successful you're going to be at something, could be anything. But if you look at it and say, am I assuming the best case scenario, then it's probably a good time to step back and say, okay, where can I factor in some problems that might come up? Where can I find a reference class so I can find how often problems come up, that type of thing. The other one, uh, and this one is one you might have heard before, but it's to resist the sunk cost fallacy. So what this one is all about is when you've done something already and then you're letting that past history affect your future decision. So an example would be, let's say this podcast. Let's say that I knew this podcast going forward was a horrible idea. It was going to take a ton of time. I wasn't going to get any benefit out of it. I wasn't going to enjoy doing it. It was going to cost me a ton of money. But I knew that I had already bought all this equipment that I had invested time, that I'd put out 31 previous episodes. And so I decided, you know what? I need to continue. And uh, I've got to continue because of all that stuff that I've already done. That's the sunk cost fallacy. That's making a bad decision based on the fact that something's happened in the past. There is nothing about the money that I've spent on this equipment or the time that I've already put in that has any bearing on the likelihood of success going forward or on the um, value that I'm going to get out of continuing to do this podcast. That's all just 
going forward. And I have to look at it that way to say today, if I was just looking at this clean slate today, would I continue doing it? Or is this worthwhile? And that's how we have to make decisions about um, any number of things, a project that you're going to work on, um, a, you know, a budget that you're going to adopt, whatever. We have to be very careful about um, factoring in value from the prior uh, experience that we've had. So that's the sunk cost fallacy. Um, I would say that that one's true for your career too. So I, you know, I like to bring up some stuff about careers once in a while, in addition to the freelancing and side hustling. But if you're continuing in a job you hate, just because you've been doing that job forever, and because it's what you know, and you think, ah, I've invested 10 years in this job, I can't do something else. That's the sunk cost fallacy. It's a fallacy. It's it's not true. And you're weighing yourself down. You're actually hurting your future uh, enjoyment of a future job or whatever it might be, another opportunity, because you're letting that past impact your decision making. So just consider it. Um, it's a trap that business people fall into all the time when they're planning future projects or holding on to business units, whatever it might be. And all of us do it because it falls into this uh, the same problems we have about being overly optimistic, like we talked about in the in the other steps. So that's it. That's all I've got for today. Just thought I'd share those thoughts because they're really important to me right now and I'm really enjoying the book. Once again, uh, the book is called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'll post it up on the show notes of the website. Um, If you have any comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to post them on the Facebook page. It's The Upload Podcast. You can just search for that or you can go to MikeGrosier.com. And uh, until next time, as I always say, oh, actually, I've got my first live participant here, uh, Jim Janateus. Hey, Jim. I see the, that's kind of distracting when it pops up. I've never seen this before. So it pops up with a comment. Um, Cool. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for uh, reaching out. Um, For the rest of you, I would love to uh, make this more of a conversation. I always used to call this a conversation about creativity. I'd love for it to be that. So um, on future episodes, if you ever want to jump in, I'll try to do a better job of posting when I'm going to uh, do these live events. But um, I would love to hear from you and and engage with you. This is kind of cool. So I can see Jim's comments popping up here. But anyways, I will go ahead and draw it to a close, though. Uh, Thanks, Jim, for joining me. But uh, until next time, I hope all of you take a risk and move from dreaming to doing. 